yesterday we had a short class and we discussed how the experience of Pesach and Shavuos was an experience of Ratzai and Shul. So we said that Pesach is an experience of Ratzai, of leaving the limitations of Egypt and running towards Hashem. And Shav was the experience of Hashem settling in his presence down into this physical world. And so the rest of the, the rest of chapter one is going to discuss how can we experience Ratzai in our own Avaidah Hashem. Because it's, there's a command that we have to experience the leaving of Egypt every single day, right? Every single day, as if we left Egypt. So that means that we have a certain avoda. First of all, we need to remember that we left Egypt. But the reason why we need to remember that we left Egypt is because there's a certain, there's a certain avoda that corresponds with leaving Egypt. And as we've discussed until now, leaving Egypt represents the avoda of Ratsa, of leaving our own limitations behind and yearning and reaching towards Hashem outside of ourselves. So the altar was going to give us a meditation, which is in a way similar to what we discussed in Adam Kiyakrev, but also in a way different. Um, a meditation that we should think about during what's called Pesukei Dezimra, from Baruch Shammar until we get to Shema, so that by the time we get to Shema, which we which we mentioned earlier, represents Ratzo, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Ken Hashem Echad, there's nothing other than Hashem, and I love Hashem with all of my heart, with all my might. Um, Nafshecha is explained in the Gemara to me with all of my life, that I'm ready to give my life up. Mesurat Nefesh is the epitome of what Ratzo is. So in order for us to reach the Ratzo experience and Avodah of Shema Yisrael, we have certain meditations in place that we should think about and contemplate during what's called Pesukei Tezimra. I'd never taught you guys Az Yashir, right? The Maimra of Az Yashir. I wasn't here. I was on maternity. That's one of my favorites. Okay. There, it discusses the, the importance of actually singing the Pesukei Tezimra. It's called Pesukei Tezimra, the, the verses of song and the power of song um, and, and what that... Pardon? Starting from... So I think from Hodu actually. Does Hodu begin Sukkot Zimra or Baruch Shema? I think from Hodu until the Brachot before Kretchma. But here the Altar is going to give us a certain meditation to contemplate on as a preparation for Shema. So by the time we get there, we can actually experience Ratzor, a yearning and a desire for Hashem to the point that we want to leave our own boundaries and unite with Hashem. Obviously not to the point of Klotan Nefesh while still remaining here, but to actually yearn and desire for Hashem because we said the ultimate is Shuv, right? The ultimate is serving Hashem down in this world. But you need to have Ratzor and Shuv working together because Shuv, devoid of Ratzor, is just saying the world is mine for the taking. Let me enjoy it while I can. Um, and that is not the whole point and that is not what Shuv is. So first we need to understand how can we reach a place of Ratzor and then we'll understand how can we reach a place of Shuv and we see that this plays out again during davening because I, I, the altar of really does see davening as a, the mini battleground that we play out in the morning that then affects our entire play out. That was, I wouldn't use that word specifically, but, but that then affects our entire day. So the question then is, how do we reach a place of Ratzo? To think about in your own life, when you really, really, really miss somebody or really, really, really want somebody, when you desire somebody very, very much, um, to the point that it almost cons consumes a person. What needs to be in place in order to experience that? There's something very important that needs to be in place in order to have this overwhelming 
desire for somebody else or for something. Like as well. to feel like a piece of you is missing. Interesting. Feel like you're not. A piece of you is missing. That you don't have that piece. Yeah. Of you. Yeah. What else? You have to have a sense of what that thing is or what that person is that you're desiring. A sense of what that thing is, definitely. What else do you think? So the ultra explains that the most important thing that needs to be in place in order to experience Ratso is to understand to some extent, as you were saying, just how far away we are from Hashem. Because the further away you are from something, the more you want it. It's almost this paradox, right? That the wanting sometimes is more powerful and even, even in a way more pleasurable than actually the having. Um, the chase, I guess they call it. Um, when something is far away from you and out of reach and you understand to some extent just how far it is, that makes you want it more and more and more. Which is why they say familiarity breeds contempt. Is that the saying? Have you had that idea? Uh, I think it's used in marriage. That The moment you feel too familiar, too close, like it's too accessible, you start to completely take that other person for granted. And you no longer yearn and desire that person. So there needs to be some sort of distance put in place. And um, it's not too hard to find that with Hashem because we're very, very, very far from Hashem. Um, but when we contemplate on just how far away we are based on what we understand, because we can never fully comprehend just how infinitely greater Hashem is than us. But to the point that we can understand, when we really contemplate on that, it causes and it leads to a yearning and a desire for Hashem, which is Ratzor, which is the entire goal of the Shema, that that is the goal and that it's the experience. And that is what it means when it says the command that we need to remember that we left Egypt every single day, that every single day we need to have an experience of Ratzor, we need to have an experience of leaving our own limitations behind and reaching towards the divine. And we can achieve that by first contemplating during the Pesukah Zimra on just how far away from Hashem we truly are. Is that clear? Okay, so let's see that idea inside. The Altar is going to go into different meditations, different psukim from Tanakh to contemplate and think about, different psukim from, actually, from Tanakh that, are we, that we say in um, Sukkot to Zimra that are emphasizing and driving home this point that we're so far away from Hashem and that Hashem is so infinitely greater than us so that it can lead to us to have a, a real yearning and desire to be united and close to Hashem. Okay, so let's see that inside. I left off on page seven at the bottom, the Hine. The Hine Ksiv, now it is written, Laman tiskor et yom tzetcha me'eretz mitzrayim, in order that you should remember the day that you left the land of Egypt, kol yamei chayecha, all the days of your life. And if you're familiar with the Laman tiskors that we say at the end of prayer, there are seven, I think it's seven? Remembrance. Um, remembrances. Six. Six. Thank you. You're right. You're right. There are six remembrances. We remember that um, what happened with Miriam in the desert, and we remember to keep the Shabbat, mm-hmm. and we need to remember what Amalek did to us, and we need to remember every single day that we left Egypt, right? And we also need to remember what happened to us, I think, by Maror, by the water, what happened with the bit of water, the story there. Um, and so we need to understand what does that practically mean? We can mention it every single day, right? We can say the Sheikh Chiros and remember it, but what is the Avodah? And we'll see that that Avodah is an Avodah of Ratsa. So we need to remember every single day that we left Egypt. And as the sages say, in every single generation, 
and this is one of the um, 12 Pesukim. Yeah, behold, in every single generation, Chayav Adam Lirot et Atzmo, a person is obligated to see himself, Ke'ilu Hu Yatsav Mitzram, as if he left Egypt. That every single day we need to experience the spiritual exit from Egypt, the spiritual exit from the Meitzarim, the limitations um, that we have. So even though in the statement of the stage is quoted, it only said that in every generation one needs to experience leaving Mitzrayim, the Kol Dor Vador. We see from this verse, however, um, that says we must remember leaving Mitzrayim all the days of our lives, meaning every single day we must personally relive leaving Mitzrayim. And actually the sages say on this verse from Shoftim that that also includes actually that we need to remember every single day that the sea split for us. And that's that other mimer that I really would have loved to learn with you guys, but that discusses what the avoda is of actually experiencing the sea split every day. But now we're going to focus on what does it mean to leave our own personal Egypt every single day. So we get to this point during Shema. As it says, Vahainu, this leaving Mitzrayim is experienced with Kriyat Shema. During Shema, when we say "Vi'ahavta et Hashem Elokecha," should love Hashem your God b'chol levavcha, b'chol nafshecha, b'chol ma'idecha, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. B'chaytem, and it finishes off. We finish off the entire Shema. Ani Hashem Elokechem, Asher Otzeti Etchem Me'ert Mitzrayim. I am your God, Hashem, your God who took you out of Egypt. So you can say, wait, wait, wait. What's the connection between proclaiming our love for Hashem and the fact that Hashem is the one who took us out of Egypt? And the idea is that there's a connection. The spiritual avodah of us leaving Egypt is experienced during this time of Shema. So in Tanya chapter 47, the Alter Rebbe explains how saying Shema is the idea of leaving Mitzrayim. The word Mitzrayim comes from the word Mitzar, limitation. And this is the idea that the animal soul limits the divine soul. And the animal soul's physical desires and thoughts encompass the person and block out his divine soul's desire to connect to Hashem. When a Jew says Shema and thinks about Hashem's oneness, and remembers that the only thing that matters to him in his life is to give himself over to Hashem. With this, he breaks out of the spiritual limitations created by the animal soul. So it's a spiritual process of leaving Egypt every single day when we say Shema. And so now we're going to see how we can actually lead up to this, starting from the Baruch Shamar. It says, Specifically, we see this process taking place already from Baruch Shamar, Ad Kriyat Shema. Until we say the Kriyachma, who hachana, it's a preparation, that we can get to the spiritual place of leaving our own limitations, our own Egypt behind when we proclaim the Ahafta. And so now we're going to get into the meditation. And these are um, from all different places in Pesukit de Zimra and the Berkot uh, Shema, different um, things to contemplate on that lead us to this experience of Ratzon. Okay, and that enable and help us to leave our own limitations during Shema. So Vahainu, this is kind of what, this is what it looks like. When a person will contemplate, and we know Hitbonanut, contemplation, meditation, it's a big part of Chabad Chassidus, using your mind to arouse the emotions for Hashem. So using your mind during the Pesukei Tezimra so that by the time you get to Shema, you can actually experience emotions of love towards Hashem. When a person will contemplate how how all the hosts of the heaven to you are bowing down. So even the hosts of the heaven is referring to um, the sun, the moon, and the stars, which are very, very powerful. Even though they are physical, we can see them and they take up a certain amount of space. Um, they are considered a lot more spiritual than us, right? They're much more powerful and much more connected to Hashem. And if we think that all these powerful luminaries, the sun, the moon, and the stars, what are they in a constant 
So what are they constantly doing? They are constantly bowing down and subdued and in a state of bittal towards Hashem. And what else do we think about? And how the different angels, the holy angels, barash gadol, with a loud noise, that they make a loud noise towards Hashem, as opposed to the Srafim, which are a higher level of angels, they bow down, and they say, Baruch Kavod Hashem in Kama, blessed is Hashem from his place. This is the brachot before Kriyat Shema that we say. Yeah. Um, yeah, if that's fine with everyone, yeah. It is summer, so it depends on. Yeah. I don't know what it's going to feel like, but it's going to get to be like really hot in the afternoon, so. For now, yeah. For now, yeah. If everyone's fine with it now, and then you guys can take it where it goes later. <laughs> All right. Um, I think that it goes that you have to listen in the summer to those who are hot and in the winter to those who are cold. I think that that's what it says in halacha. Oh, really? Yeah, I seem to have heard that before. But this is like an age-old... I mean, I remember being like in fifth grade and fighting over opening the window, closing the window, opening the window. It's just like a... Um, anyway, that doesn't end when you get married. I think I've told you that before. <laughs> My husband loves the AC on and I like the heater blowing and I don't. Anyway, um, never ends. <laughs> All right. So when we contemplate about the fact that the angels, which are so much higher than us, what are they doing? They're in a constant state of Betel Tashem, just an interesting point. The Ofanim, and we've learned about the difference between the Ofanim and the Shrafim and the Chayot <coughs> the previous Maimar, the Ophanim are the lowest level of angels. The Ophanim are pure emotion. They're from the world of Yitzir, which is a world of emotion. They serve Hashem only with emotion. They don't even know what they want. They, all they know is that they want. And so they make a big, big, loud noise. Um, however, the Srofim are from the world of Bria, and they are intellectual angels, and they intellectually understand the distance from Hashem, and so they're much quieter in their service of Hashem. So that's just an interesting um, difference. That's why it says, They like they so they turn toward Hashem with a lot, a lot of noise, um, because they don't even know what they want. All they know is that they want. They desire Hashem. They're a pure emotion towards Hashem. And as it says, that the angels are moving by the throne of Hashem. They are lifting up Hashem's throne and they are being lifted up by Hashem's throne. Elef alafim, there are, Elef alafim is tens of thousands, verivoy revavin and hundreds of thousands or more than that, millions, thousands and millions. Revavan yesham shunea. All of these countless different types of angels, what are they doing? They are serving Hashem. All of these angels, all of these created beings, all of these lofty spiritual entities are in a constant state of Betel Tashem. So this is starting to give us some sort of a tangible intellectual appreciation for just how great Hashem is. If all of these tremendous spiritual beings and the hosts in the heavens and the sun, moon and stars, they are in a constant state of Betel Tashem because Hashem is so much greater than them, we can start to appreciate just how distant we are from Hashem. Vezehu, and this is the meaning of the verse from Ashrei, which is also in Pesukei Tzimra, lahadia levneha adam, to make known to people, to mankind, gvoratav his strength or kvod hadar malchota and his glorious majesty and kingship, shehu bechinat hadar malchuta that Hashem is a glorious kingship. He's a glorious king. Shekulam betelim legabeam amashin everything. Every spiritual being is completely 
given over and battled to Hashem. So what's the point? To let man know just how great Hashem's kingship is. And it uses the term Hashem's kingship, and we know that that's referring to the Sephira of Malchot, which is actually the lowest of all the Sephirot. So when we can start, here we'll see that when we can start to contemplate just how powerful Hashem's Malchot, Hashem's kingship is, and just how distant we are from that, we can start to appreciate just how far we are from Hashem, because that's the lowest of the lowest of the expressions of Hashem within the Sephirot, right? It gets higher and higher and higher than that. So when we so this is really all again, a meditation and a contemplation, just how distant, far away we are from Hashem, which is supposed to then lead us to have this desire to then return and be one with Hashem. As it says, um, where do all of these angels and spiritual beings get their bitul from? What causes them to give themselves over completely to Hashem? Because they understand that Hashem's kingship fills all of the worlds. And so because they understand this, as the Shrofim do, or because they feel this, as the Ofanim do, they are in a constant state of bitul to Hashem. Pirish Malchuscha, the meaning of Malchuscha, Shechayot Kol Ha'olamim, that the life force of all of the worlds, including the spiritual worlds, Eino Ela Bebchinat Malchuscha, it's only a ray of Hashem's Malchut, which is the lowest expression of Hashem in this world. Ha'arat Shem it's just a ray of Hashem's name. Malchus is also called Hashem's, Hashem's name, and different tools and expressions that Hashem uses to interact with the world. It's just a ray, it's just a tiny, tiny side point almost of Hashem. And with that, Hashem creates the entire world. Not only this world, but all of the worlds. And there's so much more, even that we know, based on Kabbalah, from the Torah, that there is to Hashem, that Malchot, Malchot is the lowest. So if Hashem is able to create and run and rule and give life to all of the worlds just with his Malchus, how great must Hashem be because he's so much greater than his Malchus. Does that make sense? And again, this is all an idea. Oh. No, oh. <laughs> we can fix it. In order that we can again appreciate just how far we are from Hashem in order to arouse this Ratzel. So a person doesn't need a name for himself, only to relate to others. And in addition, a person's name doesn't give direct information about the person at all. So similarly, the revelation of Hashem through Malchus is just how Hashem makes himself relate to the world, not how he is for himself. And the beings created from Malchus only know the existence of Hashem, but have no idea what Elokus divinity actually is. All they know is the expression of Hashem in this world. A radiance of his name means that even the level of Malchus, his name, doesn't fully descend into the creations, only a glimmer of Malchus, like a light that is reflected off of a mirror from the original source. This shows how many stages removed are the worlds from any direct experience of Elokus divinity. So in one way you could say, okay, that's just going to make us feel like we, like we give up. But that's not the point. The point is that we can start to really yearn to be united with Hashem himself, not the rays of Hashem, not the expressions of Hashem, but Hashem himself. And that is the experience of Ratzor. As the famous saying goes that the Altra used to repeat again and again and again, I don't want your Ganeiden, I don't want your Olam Haba, I want you. Because the Altra truly understood that Ganeiden, Olam Haba, Malchus, these are just any godliness, even the angels, even the Neshamot up on high, these are just rays of Hashem's true glory and greatness. And what we really want, or what we really need to strive for, is Hashem himself, without all of the coverings and without all of the concealments. And the good news is, by the way, that we are actually able to reach Hashem. We're the only beings that are able to. 
the angels and spiritual beings are only able to experience godliness, expressions of Hashem in the worlds, but we are able to actually unite and cleave to Hashem himself through Torah and mitzvahs. Wait, how can they not connect to Hashem like we do if they're from higher worlds? Because they don't have Torah and mitzvahs. And Torah and mitzvahs are Hashem as he is beyond the worlds, brought all the way down here, in a way that if we access them, we're actually accessing Hashem's true essence. But aren't they don't have that. Bring it down, we bring it down through the world. So that has it not. Yes, so it's, it's channeled down through the world, but it's only truly experienced. A creation can only truly become one with it through action and physicality in this world. So that's a good point. The angels, they're learning Torah, right? There's a Torah in each world. Yeah. And the Torah in each world is more and more and more spiritual. It's loftier. But when they learn it, they're not one with it. Because you can only become one with it through actually, through actually experiencing it and actually doing the mitzvahs. Um, so also the souls. What's happening in Gan Eden? We're sitting and we're learning Torah. We're basking in the rays. It says uses the word the rays of Hashem of the Shechina. So that's incredible, and that's more of a godly revelation than we're ever going to experience down here. But it's not Hashem Himself, and we need to yearn for Hashem himself, which is what the angels are constantly yearning for, but they're never reaching and never achieving. So they're in a constant state of desire. They're in a constant state of, of, of longing and yearning. We need to be in a constant state of longing and yearning that then leads us to do actual Torah mitzvahs, and then we can actually have Hashem, which is remarkable. <laughs> it's, 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 it's really, really beyond comprehension, but that is the way that Hashem created the world, that we down here are able to want Hashem and actually have him. Um, but there's actually something very, very powerful in the wanting in that part, right? You said sometimes it's, it's more powerful even than, that, than the actual having. And that's the experience of Ratzo. And that we can get to that place after really, really thinking daily in our davening about how these creatures, these creations, these spiritual entities that are so much greater than us, that can hold and understand so much more than we can, they take all of their power and they channel it all towards Hashem and they're in a constant state of battle for Hashem because they understand that their entire life force comes from Him. And so here we're going to say, we're going to explain a little bit about how Malchus works. Have you guys learned a bit about Malchus before? I haven't touched on it really. Um, so my goal actually after this mimer is to take a week, <coughs> maybe even a little more, but around a week to go through the spheres, Okay. Because I want you to really leave with a little bit of an understanding of it, because they come up again and again and again in Chassidus. Um, but let's speak a little bit about Malchus for now. Malchus, again, it's all the way at the bottom of the chart, right? Um, it's the lowest expression of Hashem. The Sephiris are the channels through which Hashem shines his light and directs them towards the world. And Malchus is filtering, so to speak, Hashem's light a lot more powerfully than the other spheres are. So when Hashem light, Hashem's light shines through Malchus, the light that comes through on the other side, after, so to speak, the filter of Malchus, it's a lot less powerful and it's a lot less close to the source than the other spheres. And that's why Malchus is also called Dibur. Dibur is speech, because it's when Hashem starts to actually relate to others, and that's why it's also re represented by Hashem's name. You only have a name, for other people, right? If somebody's on a desert island, they don't need a name um, because they're not introducing themselves to anybody. They're only relating to themselves. But Hashem already is considered Hashem's name in the level of Malchus because it's already recognizing separate existences. It's the beginning of that process. Malchus means kingship. There's no such thing as a king without people, without subjects, without something outside of itself. So Malchus is the beginning of the possibility for there to be something other 
than Hashem. And Malchus, Hashem's kingship, is, um, is, is infinite. So we don't experience that infinity down here. But a ray of that Malchus gets filtered through, and that ray is what actually gives life, and life was to the entire world, not only our world, but all of the spiritual worlds. Um, something interesting about Malchus, as opposed to, to the other Sephiris, it's explained that Hashem, in order for... Okay, let's see if I can get this right, because I learned it recently, but it was very powerful, so I'll try. Um, the way that Hashem brings the worlds into being is through speech, not through action. And the reason that is, how do we bring things into being? How do we create things? Action. Through action. The reason is because we, well, we can do, we can create, we can create in three levels. We can create with our thought, we create thoughts. We can create with our speech, we create words and communication. And then we create, we create tangible things with our hands, right? With, with our action. Um, Hashem creates the world specifically through speech. Because on the one hand, it's not Hashem's machshava, because the way you think only for yourself. And Hashem needed to bring the world into being for something outside of himself. So it's really speech. But we can't say that Hashem brought the world into being through action. Because in order for you to act, to bring something into being through action, you need a third party. You need a material. And then you take that material and you fashion it into something else, into something new. Hashem, there's nothing outside of Hashem. So we say that Hashem spoke the world into being. Does that, does that make sense? So on the one hand, Hashem is recognizing something outside of himself by the act of speaking as opposed to just thinking, which is, which is Hashem's chokmah, which is the Torah, that's Hashem's internal thought towards himself. The deeper the speech, the way Hashem brings the world into being through letters has the power of Hashem's, Hashem behind it, right? Just as when we speak, the power of our thought and the power of our, our subconscious is behind those words and behind the... The, the speech that we have, but the speech brings the world into being as opposed to the action because action necessitates taking something outside of yourself and fashioning it to express, for example, a piece of artwork. If you want to express yourself through art, you need a paper that is not you, you need paintbrushes that are not you, and you need paint that is not you so that you can express yourself, right? As opposed to speech, what do you need? You need yourself to speak and you need somebody to communicate to, right? Um, as opposed to thought, all you need for thought is to be able to communicate with yourself. You just need a brain. So Hashem too. Hashem uses speech specifically, not action, because, um, because that would mean that Hashem's taking something else and using that to fashion the world. And that's not the case because everything is Hashem. Okay, so why is this important? Because when Hashem speaks the world into being, the Asarama, Marot, etc., the Torah, everywhere that Hashem expresses himself and brings the world into being through speech, it's usually in the upper, in the highest, highest levels, it's in a way and in an order that actually expresses Hashem's thought and Hashem's essence behind it. Just as when we speak words that make sense, there's something behind that speech. But Malchus, so what it explains, what's Malchus and how does Malchus differ from the other um, Sephirot? Because Malchus is speech that's completely mixed up and tangled. It's taking words, it's taking letters and completely jumbling them up. So you're still putting something out there, but the life force and the meaning and the intent behind those words is lost. Does that make sense? I'll say that one more time briefly. When Hashem um, expresses himself beyond Malchus, higher than Malchus, um, 
there is a, there, the power and the light of Hashem is shining through because there's a meaning and a power behind the words that he speaks. But in Malchus, it's just jumbled up letters. That's an example that Hasidus brings from Malchus. It's Hashem expressing himself towards the world, but we can't see the light and the intention and the essence behind it. That is lost. Just like if you jumble up letters, you can still speak, but nobody knows actually what your true intent is behind it. Does that make sense? So Malchus is almost... It's receiving from all of the other sefirot, but what it gives out, it's giving out pure, almost pure letters. Pure, wow. It's, I'm trying to remember how I was reading this inside. Yeah, so it's receiving from everything, but then the light gets almost lost through, and all we see is the, is the action after that. Um, and that's, what, that's where Atzilot, Bria, Yetzirah, and Asiyah comes from. It comes from after Malchus. Um, that, that gives the possibility for worlds that feel independent and separate from Hashem to exist because the truth behind the words gets lost. And all we have left is the words. All we have left is the creation and is the world. And so um, when we start to think and to contemplate on the fact that everything that we see, which is so mind-blowing, right? I was just thinking recently about just all the different animals that exist. Like, it's just crazy. Like, all these different creatures and creations, even that we see in our, all the bugs and all the animals, all the plants, all the, everything around us and the capacity that human beings have, that that all comes from just a ray of a ray of a ray of malchus, which is just a ray of a ray of a ray of, of chokhmah, which is just an ray of a ray, what I say, it's infinitely lower than chokhmah, which is infinitely lower than Hashem's true essence. And when we can contemplate on that, we can start to truly comprehend that Hashem is just so great and just so infinitely beyond us and so far away. And then we say, okay, we want that. We want Hashem. We, we don't want Malchus. We don't want the godliness in the spiritual worlds. We don't want the Shekhinah. We want Hashem himself. And this, these contemplations are supposed to really lead us to that yearning and to that desire. And we will speak a little bit more about Malchus and also Malchus within the context of ourselves because we know that we have all the tens of within ourselves. We'll speak about that when we finish the Mimer, when we go through all of the all of the Sephirot. But is there a little bit of an understanding of Malchus? Yeah? A little bit or not? Okay. So we said, so let's continue inside, okay? Any questions or comments before we go inside? Good? Okay, so page 10. Now we're going to say the way that Hashem expresses himself in the world through the channel of Malchus, which is just a ray of himself, is not the same way that our soul fills up our bodies. So the way Hashem's light fills up the world is not the same way that our soul fills up the body. And the reason is, we'll see inside, is this descent of Malchus, is not the same way that the soul fills up the body, which is interesting. The Tanya of these days is discussing exactly that, how the soul fills up the body. Because the essence, the essential life force of the soul, malubash mamash, is invested within the soul itself. And it's explained in the time that we're learning today that it's invested in the brain. All of the power of the soul exists in the brain, and then from the brain, it then spreads out to the different individualized soul powers for each capacity that we have for sight, for hearing, for smell, for action, for, for movement, etc., etc. This is not the case with the way that Hashem's life force and essence fills up the worlds. But Hashem's essence and Hashem's being, Ram is elevated, is beyond us. It's not tangible and felt down here. 
And there's nothing that's able to contain him whatsoever. So a body is able to contain a soul. But the world is not able to contain and reveal Hashem's essence. Because Hashem's essence is so, so, so beyond us. As it says, I am Hashem. He uses the word, the term for Hashem, Yudan Hei and Vaban Hei. Aloshinisi and I have not changed. And it's interesting, it uses Ani Hashem. It doesn't say Ani Hashem Elokechem, it says just Ani Hashem. Because the, the tetragrammaton, the four letter name of Hashem, which we call in Hasidus refers to it as Havaya, which is just a mix up of the letters, is, comes from Haya, Hove, Vayihie. Was, is, and will be. And it's re- referring to a level of Hashem that exists and transcends creation completely. It exists before the world, it exists after the world, it exists during the, during the creation of the world. And Hashem in these stages, from when the world was created, from when the world ends, whatever that actually means, it looks like Hashem has not changed or been impacted whatsoever by this process. Unlike the body, the soul, that completely gets impacted by its investment and giving life to the body. As we say, you, Hashem, are as you exist as before you created the world, and you exist after the world is created. Hashem is untouched by this entire process that is our entire existence. Without any change whatsoever, there is nothing that's able to truly cover over and conceal or even touch or impact Hashem in any way. Again, these are things to think about and contemplate before we get to the Shema so we can realize just how great Hashem truly is. The only thing we can experience is a ray of the name of Hashem's Malchus. Bilvad alone. That's the only thing we can experience. And it's very hard for us to experience even that. Because this is the life and source of life to all of the worlds, including the spiritual worlds. So since Hashem himself is infinitely exalted beyond worlds and creation, to the extent that the creation of worlds makes no change in him whatsoever, the creation of life of worlds cannot come directly from him. Because Hashem has nothing to do with the world. He's so, so infinitely higher than it. Rather, it must come through a myriad, myriad of stages and levels that conceal his infinite light until only a radiance of his name, the level of Malchus, is able to serve as the direct source of the creation. And this is what we mean when we say in Ashrei every single day, that your kingship is ruling all of the worlds. This means all of the worlds, including the spiritual worlds. Even though there are tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of levels within all of the spiritual worlds, as it is written in Eov, is there a number to his legions, that to get from the earth to the rakia, to the firmament, is a process that takes 500 years, with all of this, we can't compare this whatsoever to Hashem's light, because that is infinite. So even though there are tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of levels within each world, the descent of Hashem's light goes through a number of processes that we can't even begin to comprehend. Hashem is infinitely greater than all of that. 
Because even from us to spiritual worlds, it says it's a process that takes 500 years. That's very, very far away. The Rakia is very, very far from where we are, right? But 500 years is a limited amount of time, right? It's a limited amount. It, it means that there's a limited space between the two. And even though there are tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of levels within the spiritual worlds, that's a number. But Hashem is beyond any number. Hashem is completely infinite. So we are very, very, very far away from the spiritual world and we are infinitely, incomprehensibly far away from Hashem himself. Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay. The Kanoda, as it's known, we'll finish off with this. Let's see here. Okay. That even if you have one out of 100 million, it still has value. One out of 100 million is a, is a drop in the ocean. What is that? It's, it's absolutely nothing. But it still has some sort of substance and existence. It's one out of 100 million, right? It's not one out of infinity. One out of infinity, you can't compare the two. The one has no standing there. So it's just a very, 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 very small part of this greater picture. But when you compare 100 million to infinity, to Hashem's infinity, literally, you can't compare whatsoever. So we compared to the angels, let's say, we compared to the spiritual worlds, we're a drop in the ocean. But us compared to Hashem, it's incomparable. There's no comparison whatsoever. We take up no space because Hashem is infinite and we have a limitation. And so through, since, since the angels comprehend everything we just said. Everything we just said sounds nice and lovely and we can start to maybe touch on it. The angels, especially the angels in the world of Bria, truly understand the distance between them and Hashem. They truly understand all of these concepts that, that what they are experiencing is only Malchus and that there's so much more than that. When they truly understand this, what does it cause them to experience? Through these contemplations and understandings, that is what allows them to be in a constant state of because it keeps them in their place, right? You're not even a drop in the ocean compared to Hashem. You're infinitely nothing compared to Hashem. Okay, that's, these are nice words for us. And if we contemplate them on, on them enough and you know, real chassidim would really contemplate on these ideas, it can lead us to a state of bitl. The angels truly comprehend us and that is why they are constantly given over to Hashem. So when we think about the fact that the angels understand this and they are given over, then it can allow us, give us some power and koch to give ourselves over towards Hashem. So through contemplating, truly thinking about this, everything that we mentioned above during, um, during prayer, the Oma Kadas with a deep, deep understanding as a mimele, then automatically you will reach this level of ratzo during kriyachma that we can truly, truly experience a tangible emotion of love in our hearts for Hashem, which will lead us that will allow us to leave our own limitations and our own borders and boundaries of this world behind. So it's a task, right? And I, uh, was it once that Rabbi Kaufman sat down and started like Chazron and you? And it's really hard to for us to focus and to really think about these ideas, especially because they're so lofty and they're so beyond us, and they're not tangible and we don't see them in front of us. But the altar of is saying that if we truly commit ourselves to thinking and contemplating about these things and focus on 
just how infinitely far away from Hashem we are through learning about the different levels, even though we'll never fully understand just how many levels there are, through starting to touch on the subject of Seder Eshtalshalot and of the different levels that, and the different processes that it takes for Hashem to come down in this world, we will start to have this desire for Hashem, for the real thing as we can call it, and that will lead us to truly experience and a love for Hashem. Let's um, finish, I think, off with that for today. And we'll finish with this idea of tomorrow. There's only a few more lines, but we will finish with it tomorrow. And then we'll start chapter two. Okay. So I know we went a bit, we went a bit deep today, but this really, once you see these, these are verses from Sukkot Zimra, from Ashrei, from Baruch Shamar, um, from the blessings before Shema. So when you actually see these, 